0: What were you doing when you were 17? Maybe you were thinking about what you would do after high school. Go to college, university, get a job, maybe travel, backpack around some part of the world. Well, Fatima Zaidi was packing her bags, preparing to leave her home in Oman to move to Toronto and start her very first year of university. After graduating with a degree in human resources from University of Toronto, she moved on to HR roles in a number of Toronto-based corporations. A tenacious, quick-thinking, fast-moving woman, it didn't take her long to realize a slow-paced, bureaucratic, corporate environment where success is not often tied to merit, just wasn't for her. Fatima needed to make a move. It was time for a pivot. A whole slew of coffee chats later, Fatima connected with Aaron Burry, who's now the founder of Willful. Conversations with Aaron opened Fatima's eyes to a whole new set of possibilities and the world of startups. Her next move? A startup. Rent, frock, repeat. And she's never looked back since. Her career skyrocketed, and she is now the co-founder and CEO of Quill. What's Quill? Quill's the world's first marketplace that connects podcasters with expert freelancers. If you haven't heard of it, get in the know and check them out. They're taking off in a big way. On our episode today, Fatima talks to us about her career and some of the barriers women of color might experience when trying to enter into the startup world. Fatima, thanks for joining us today. I've been so looking forward to speaking with you. Why don't you start by telling us more about you? Of all of the places in the world to land, why Toronto?
1: I decided that I wanted to sort of launch a career in a different part of the world. And I chose Toronto because I think at the time for me, I was debating between New York and Toronto. And for me, New York was just a little bit out of reach from an affordability standpoint. And so I picked Toronto because it was you can get a lot of government support here if you're a good student. There's a lot of scholarships. The tuition for university is a lot more affordable. In hindsight, thank goodness. You know, I don't think any of us sort of forecasted and anticipated the political climate and just in general what. What happened down in the US. And so I'm really, really grateful that I chose Canada. And, you know, I'm so happy that I did. I absolutely love this country. And it's given me so many opportunities. And so I would make that decision all over again.
0: And, and what was it like at, uh, I believe it was 17, you packed your bags that you said goodbye to your parents and, and came to Canada. Were your, were your parents supportive? Um, were they comfortable with the move to Canada? And, and how was that for you adjusting to a new life in Canada with perhaps not many, many people that you know around you?
1: Uh, My parents are and were extremely supportive. You know, they are very big on education. I come from like I come from a Pakistani background, born and raised in the Middle East. And so, you know, different, very generationally, very different. My mom never got to go to school and get educated. And so that for them, education was a huge priority. And so, you know, I think it was kind of mandatory that I had to pursue a post-secondary education. And I feel like Toronto is a really great place to sort of get acclimatized to a new life because of its multicultural and diversity aspect. I get asked this all the time. Was it a huge culture shock? In some ways, it was. But to be honest, I went to an international school in Oman, and so I was already exposed to people from all walks of life. And that was just further compounded in a city like Toronto that is so multicultural. And I was on res first year, and it was an international res. And so my friends were sort of from all walks of life. And I I really, really like enjoyed that university experience. It was very different from the, you know, the Westerns and the Queens of the world where I find people are generally very local. It was, it was different. I, I didn't know anyone here, but I adjusted really quickly. You know, you make friends really quickly in school, especially when you're living on res, and for me, I came here with a mindset and goal. It was to further advance my education and career. And so that was always a priority. And, you know, Toronto is, is a world-class city and we're,
0: we're really lucky to, to be here. Fatima, what I've been impressed by is, is your your work ethic, your resilience. You've moved so quickly uh, and you've identified opportunities and captured them very quickly. When you uh, were at University of Toronto, did you have a sense of where you wanted to be and where you, where you we're going.
1: Oh my goodness. No, and I still don't. I feel like it's the blind leading the blind constantly every day. And I, you know what? I don't really think anyone really knows where they're heading and what they're doing. We're just sort of all figuring it out as we go along. And yeah, I think the innate qualities are there. The the hard work, the resilience, the work ethic, the, you know, tenacity to take risks. That is the minimum benchmark for becoming an entrepreneur. It's You don't get any extra brownie points for having all of those skills or uh, having those standards. I think that that question that people ask you when you're younger, what do you want to be when you grow older or grow up? And that question drives me insane because I feel like the process of moving along is ever evolving and changing. Your goals are going to keep changing. Your dreams and milestones are going to keep changing and getting bigger and bigger and keep challenging you. And so for me... I know where I wanna be in a year, in two years, but I have no idea where I'm going to be in 10 years. And similarly, when I was in university, I had no idea what I wanted to do and become. I studied HR in university and our employment relations is what I specialized in and so different from what I'm doing today. And that field was so wrong for me. And I'm glad that eventually I figured it out along the way and pivoted very quickly.
0: So you did start working in an organization. I believe you started in HR. How did you figure out it was wrong for you? And and how did you pivot?
1: The first four years, or actually, I think it was even longer than that. The first multiple years of my career were spent corporate. So I worked at an, a multi-global international um, energy company. And then after that, I was at Thomson Reuters. And so I think for me, I was just very unhappy in the very structured, bureaucratic, red tape corporate setting. For me, I like to see the results immediately. I'm all about seeing the work that you're doing translating into bottom line. I have always been really passionate about bottom line and contributing to it. and. I think for me, progress should be based on, progress and and being rewarded should be based on merit and hard work, not tenure and seniority and just red tape. And so for me, I just never really thrived in that corporate setting. And so after a few years, I started just, I knew I wanted to get out of the corporate space. And so I started having informational interviews and coffee meetings with people in my peripheral network. And I actually met with it was sort of the life-changing coffee meeting for me. I met with this um woman and she's now a really good friend of mine. We actually ran an agency together, but her name is Erin Burry, and she's the founder and CEO of Willful. And she, you know, said to me, She she was running 88 at the time, and she said, you know, why don't you consider joining a startup and i just the concept was so foreign to me i mean my dad has been a government worker his whole life my mom never worked so the concept of actually working at a startup was just i didn't even know what that was and what that could potentially even look like and so i said no because i said you know i've heard startups there's you know no job security you're paid terribly and she was the first to point out that that couldn't be further from the truth and it's more so a stereotype, but actually startups can be very well funded that if you work hard and perform, you can climb up the ranks really quickly, that you essentially are not just a number like you are in the corporate world, that you, you know, become very integral to the core part of a business and you can directly impact bottom line. And so probably a few weeks after that coffee meeting, she reached back out to me and she said, I actually know these two women who are starting um, the competitor to rent the runway in Canada. So it's a, a a dress rental company. They're starting it from scratch, from the ground up, and they need a third partner to come in and help bring, make money. Would you be interested? And I wasn't really still that gung-ho and sold on the idea, but I had a coffee meeting with Lisa DeLorme, who was the founder of RentFrock Repeat. And that one coffee meeting was the single biggest opportunity of my life, and it completely jump my career. And then from there, it just sort of skyrocketed.
0: Mm -hmm. it it definitely has skyrocketed and it's interesting that uh, that conversation around the startup because i I, what i'm noticing with women who've stayed in the corporate world uh they are now a lot of them particularly women of color are choosing to leave because they're finding some of the things that you were looking for in terms of you know um, hard work being rewarded they're not seeing that um and so they're choosing to move out of corporate and start their own companies and so you sort of quickly realized uh, that it wasn't for you and and pivoted and moved forward and and have gone so far, which, which is a trend. Can you touch on that? Do you think that that's where a lot of the future is going to be uh, in organizations like what you're creating and less so in these big corporations, um, these big financial institutions?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think exposure, access and awareness is everything. And so... I think that a lot of people just don't realize that they can be sort of in this space where you are rewarded based on merit and hard work. And I think also just people have this misconception, like I mentioned earlier, that if you're in like this early stage startup or like, you know, you start a company that you are just there's no job security and there isn't any form of, I would say, structure. And I I just feel like that that is so I feel like that is a very like 1980s comment to make, because if you look at the mass layoffs that have happened, let's just take the pandemic, for example. Think about all of the layoffs that have happened, and most of them have come from corporate organizations. How many startups have you seen laying people off? I would say most startups have either gone under, or they've committed to keeping on every single employee, including Quail, we kept every single person. Not only that, we actually acquired another company. So for me, I would just say that, if you are sort of in like the corporate space or corporate world and, you know, you are really frustrated about not being recognized or not being able to move the needle fast enough, then you're probably suffering from what I was suffering, which is you're in the wrong place at the wrong time.
0: Mm hmm. I agree. And then in terms of I mean, you're hearing a lot of conversation around diversity inclusion now in large corporations, but also in in the startup space and in terms of funding. I was recently in a meeting where, uh, the stat was that while there is this heightened focus on, focus on diversity and inclusion and, and funding, uh, Diverse types of founders. I believe in the year of 2020 so far, most of the funding has gone to white-led, um, white male-led uh, organizations or startups. Are you seeing uh, a shift in that? How are you experiencing this interest in diversity inclusion in the work that in in the space that you're currently in?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say that most definitely, lack of diversity across the board is sort of an issue that isn't specific to corporations or startups, it's just across the board. I mean, generationally, culturally, we definitely have a huge problem. I'm obviously gonna speak to my experience in the startup space. I would say access to early stage capital has been extremely challenging for for women, especially women of color. Um, There's a a huge, huge lack of representation on VC boards, family offices. I mean, the truth of the matter is that people wanna invest in those that look like you and how many successful female founders do we know? And so that's why I think a lot of female founders Founders are relying very heavily on government support, government grants and getting creative with how they're going to bootstrap their businesses. And, you know, same with Quail. We bootstrapped from day one and we made a decision that I wasn't going to spend time trying to convince VCs when I don't have prior exits under my belt, that my business was worth investing in, it would just make more sense for me to focus on sales and bringing in revenue and being cash flow positive from day one. So I think we do a really great job of championing companies that raise, and we don't nearly focus on companies that manage to bootstrap from day one and retain all of their equity, which I think is so important. You know, I think there is no pipeline issue when it comes to, raising capital. I mean, female founders, especially black female founders are the fastest growing group of entrepreneurs out there. And so investors that are saying they are having a hard time feel, finding people to invest in are just not looking hard enough and I think the clog in the pipeline is probably Either we fall into the other category where we're some sort of a diversity quota in some minimal charity fund, or we lose the opportunity to somebody who looks more the part because we don't fall under what typically constitutes as what a typical successful founder should look or sound like.
0: It's interesting because some of the issues in corporate that I hear is I'll often hear, you know, well, there's just there are no diverse candidates available. And, and when I look at the stats, particularly with women of color, women of color, actually, more of them have a post-secondary education than women that aren't don't identify as of color or indigenous. They're also uh, surveys show to be highly ambitious. And also in the professional world, there are more women of color than those that don't identify as women of color. however. Uh, they're not in professional roles. Women, uh, white women are actually 12 to 1 in terms of uh, being in senior roles. There's They're 12 times more likely to be in a senior role than a, a woman of color, even though there are more women of color. And so, when I hear there's not of candidates, it can be utterly frustrating because I I know that there are many women of color. Do you have any suggestions in, in your world and in corporate world in general, when you hear there, where are they, where are these women that we want to fund or we want to promote? How should they reframe that question? So it's actually positive and constructive.
1: Yeah, that's a really great question. So in terms of, um, The semantics of it, I would say that it's so important to continue to sort of inspire the next generation of female founders, especially those that are underrepresented. So just really championing and profiling those, those leaders in the community, I think is extremely important. But when, when, you know, people ask that question, where are they? You know, they're right here. We, we are out there actively seeking investment. We're out there actively promoting our businesses. And so I I would say, you know, similar to my earlier conversation, you know, if your management and your top line or these people making decisions on who gets capital isn't representing national demographics, then you really need to put in selection blinds, whether that's conscious or unconscious bias training or whatever it is that sort of helps you move the needle from a diversity standpoint. And I think. It's hard to sort of rephrase that question positively because the stats just aren't positive. And so it is a really grim topic. And, you know, I really don't really want to take away from that. I think that women are here not because we're, you know, now all of a sudden being given opportunities because we're filling a minimal diversity quota. We're here because we're qualified. We make excellent leaders. We're compassionate. We're empathetic. We're strategic. And so if you're not going to give us that capital, we will find a way to get to the top ourselves. And that is why I'm such a huge proponent of bootstrapping. And if you're able to and sort of relying on government resources because I think that there's something to be said about making it on your own without relying on on VCs or outside investment.
0: What do you anticipate the like for the? So you were saying you often think of things in the next year, two years, three years because your life has been extraordinary in that um, one extraordinary opportunity has led to another. For Quill, in the next year and two years, what are you anticipating?
1: So we are looking at it, ideally, I mean, the goal would be potential acquisition in four to five years. That we're, we're very big on collecting data. We have a couple of internal tech products. We have a conference. We have our agency umbrella. And so we're really just focused on being cash flow positive, creating a really healthy culture with work-life balance. I'm like a huge proponent of you can be successful while making sure that your team doesn't burn out. And, and I practice that as much as I, I can as well. So making sure that we are building a culture and pipeline of clients that we really want to work with, uh, and and just growing a company with integrity, but while staying cash flow positive, making sure our numbers are, are really strong. And essentially, you know, for me, the dream scenario in four to five years would be a potential acquisition or exit.
0: Mm-hmm. And then what what would you, do you have any thoughts on what what you would do next?
1: I have no idea. Okay. I have no idea what I would do. I'd be, you know, I would be very much unemployed at that point, and <laughs> I'm hoping some sort of an opportunity would come my way.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and are you based in Toronto currently, or in in the states?
1: I am now in Toronto. I love the city. As soon as the pandemic happened, I was like, I'm planting my two feet in Toronto and not going anywhere. I'm so grateful for our prime minister. I'm so grateful for the way that we've handled this pandemic. Doug Ford has been amazing in the way that he handled this pandemic specifically, and also just very grateful for free health care.
0: <laughs> because I, I believe you go, you do go back and forth from the, uh, I think it's Chicago, LA, and then Toronto. Do you, And so just in terms of that perspective, then, how do you think... Think um, we rank or we compare to what's happening in America, in terms of the work that you're doing, in terms of diversity in the venture space. Do you think that there's a difference, or do you think we're kind of on par in terms of our uh, what we're seeing in the landscape around venture funding and diverse um, founders?
1: So it's an interesting question, because the way that I see it is there's two United States. There's two very polarizing parts of the U.S. And unfortunately, my exposure to the U.S. has been very blue state democratic. So Chicago, L.A., California, New York, Seattle. And so I can't really see speak to the stats of the country across the board. I'm sure that if I'm looking at the red states, it's probably very different. And even within the blue states, I would say it's very different across the board. From a business standpoint, the U.S. is obviously bigger and better in the sense that check sizes are bigger, um, investment pools are larger, people, companies, individuals, and investors are willing to take more risks, whereas Canadian investors are a lot more traditional and risk averse. So when it comes to raising capital, especially for women, it's much easier in the U.S., especially for a category like podcasting, which is just so new and you're almost introducing a new marketing tactic. So education is a large part of it. And so our our market is primarily, I would say, 70 percent the U.S., but at the same time, there is something to be said. Of course, you have to keep in mind that the population is 300 million versus 30 million, which is also a huge factor. But there's also something to be said about the political climate of two countries. I mean, as much as I love doing business in the U.S., I mean, I also love the diversity of Canada. I love how advanced and progressive we are in terms of human rights, you know. I would say that the U.S. is, you know, if we're just looking at California and New York and Chicago, it's one thing, but we can't just isolate the states and say, "Okay, well, this is the part of the U.S. that we're going to speak to. It's a very different country depending on where you are. And so I think as a country, we are a lot more united in our values politically. And I think that you know, if I was to be raising children, which I definitely am not right now, uh, this is the country that I would want to be in. So when I'm talking about doing business, definitely the U.S. is a much bigger market. But where I want to align myself, I am 100 percent a loud and proud Canadian. <laughs> Fatima,
0: it's, it's been such a pleasure to speak with you. You bring it, it's interesting, most of the pod, podcasts until now have been uh, with women who've who've really only been in, been in the corporate world and to get your perspective and sort of your journey moving from corporate to startup and and why you made that decision because as I as I alluded to I'm seeing a lot of these women who've spent years in corporate now moving into their own companies it is fascinating and and the comparison between the US and Canada around um, some of the diversity startup space venture funding I I am so impressed by what you have accomplished and everything about you uh, just indicates that you have such an incredible career ahead of you. You've already had an incredible career. Uh, Thank you for your time. And we're all going to be watching Quill take off and, and watching to see where it goes or how it's acquired in the next four to five years.
1: Thank you so much for the kind words and the support. I absolutely um, love women who champion other women. I think we need more of that. And so I appreciate you having me on your show. I'm so excited to hear the final episode. I will promote it and I will send people your way. Other badass rock star women that I think you should be also interviewing. <laughs>
0: Oh, that'll be that would be fantastic. Because one of the things um, I'm finding is that there's a need for more diverse women's voices. Uh, there's a whole term around policing women's voices, and that's because we're we're used to only hearing one type of voice. And so, the more voices and stories we hear, the more open and uh, uh, more open we can be to all of these new opportunities. And so, having your voice uh, amongst all these other women's voices is is just helping to push that needle, push that dial forward. Um, so thank you
1: thank you I really appreciate it
0: the world is changing quicker than ever before we don't know for certainty what will happen over the next few months or the next few years but we will continue to adapt and share stories of strength so that we come out on the other side as a more inclusive kinder and understanding society Thank you for listening. I'm Shilpa, and you've been listening to Her Climb. Did you enjoy the show? And you might want to subscribe to Her Climb podcast so you don't miss an episode. Her Climb podcast come out every week in our very first season. Thank you.